0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Endeavor to teach here today, James chapter number 4 going to begin, begin reading from verse number 11. Those who are uh, going to camp meeting, we have a very quick meeting that we need to attend to right after this in the youth class. There are some forms and such that need to be filled out that has been uh, given into our care. And so you can take those and fill them out. Just make sure you have them completed Monday uh, whenever you arrive on the campgrounds. And we'll talk about what time Uh, The church van and such is leaving and what time it'll be open for loading. And uh, if you're not riding the church van, you don't necessarily have to follow the church van. But if you want to use it, you have to have your stuff on there before it exits. All right, so we'll talk about that in our little meeting after service this morning. James 4, verse number 11, starting the Bible says, Speak not evil of one another, brethren, he that speaketh evil of his brother." Judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law, and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that thou judgest another? Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye you know not what shall be on the morrow. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appear for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to whom that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Tonight, I want to just teach this morning question form. Provoke perhaps our hearts and minds what is your life what is your life what is your life today what was it yesterday what's your life tomorrow what what do you perceive it to be what is your life god we come to you this morning we're grateful we're grateful lord for this opportunity to be here god that's been afforded us we're thankful lord to be in these states god where we have lord the privilege to come and worship god without any restraint god to lift up hands and hearts god to you I pray, oh, Lord, I know in the moment that we do that, God, that there is a connection and there is a touch of heaven and, God, that you see and you, Lord, acknowledge and know, God, where your people are. I pray, oh, Lord, today help us, God, to give consideration, Lord Jesus, to these passages of scriptures. God, give consideration, Lord Jesus, to our own souls and our own hearts, God, in this place. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen, the church, amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. So tucked here within these verses is a very, what can be, very thought-provoking question of what is your life. Considering what we do, perhaps, or what we don't do, what we say or what we don't say, how we act or how we don't act, what is our life? James answers his very own question that he gave. Perhaps it was rhetorical, but he, he answered it nevertheless by telling us that life is very brief. And in essence, he tells us that we don't need to waste The words of life because or the way in which we live our life because it is brief. We don't need to make plans without God because life is brief. We need to have a God-ordained planned life. And we don't need to regret. We don't need to regret our inactions because you may never have another chance. Uh, Meaning we, 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 we need to things that we did that we shouldn't have done amen, we need to consider those, yet we also need to consider the things we didn't do that we should have done, which is just as important. And so James turns a corner here in James chapter number four, he's talking to us and admonishing us not to judge, which is no surprise, but he's just dealt with the attitude and the concept of pride, the lack of humility, if you will, and so then he turns from that to judgment and our judgmental attitudes, because it's easy to be judgmental when you're not humble. Uh, Whenever you don't have a discipline of humility in your life, it's easy to be able to cast judgment. So these two ideas seem to go hand in hand. Oftentimes pride and judgment go hand in hand. Whenever Jesus told the story in the Gospels of the publican and the Pharisee that were found in Luke 18, uh, he couples these two ideas together because they are there and there is the publican that's beating upon his chest saying, Lord, you know, I'm not even worthy to lift up my voice to utter a word unto you. And then there's the Pharisee over there saying, you know, I fast twice a week and all of these things kind of pompous and proud about his status in life. He's praising himself while the publican seems to be in." himself. And so we see these two things, one that practices humility. Even the the Pharisee says, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like the publican. He's so brass to even say that. So exercising a spirit of pride and at the same time judgment over this man that is really, yeah, he's in a place of a publican and a sinner, but he realizes who he is and he has a spirit of humility. And so verse 11 of James four tells us not to speak evil of one another. Contrary to popular belief, finding fault is not one of the spiritual gifts. (laughs) It's not one of the nine spiritual gifts. As a matter of fact, humanly speaking, good speech, proper speech. uh, 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 I'm trying to think of another word. uh, Speech that's eight capable of being reproduced is really a a great mark that progress in maturity in real everyday life children and in spiritual children. Statements like, you know, whenever our children are growing up, you know, and they begin to talk, oh, isn't that something? You thought it was horrible whenever you couldn't understand, didn't know what their needs are, didn't know what they needed, but when they started to talk, then you thought, well, maybe they should have just remained in that stage of me just not knowing. Okay, no one else had children like I did them, <laughs> or do. <laughs> Nevertheless, because then they come along and they start to say stuff like this. Oh, he really speaks well for his age, right? And they begin to compliment him. They, they have these profound observations of the way that they string words together or their vocabulary. But there was something that I noticed whenever uh, my children were growing up, particularly Trevor, he's not in here, so you don't have to worry about being embarrassed. But uh, whenever we, 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 Trevor was growing up, Uh, there came a time he was a pacifier baby he liked his paci and so he used that oftentimes to soothe himself and to help himself during times when he was upset and so whenever it came to that place where we had to stop pacifying trevor and remove the pacifier he started talking more when he wasn't being pacified as a matter of fact his speech got better when he lost his pacifier his quality of talk was the indication of his progress. And so it is with the Christian life. Our quality of talk is a good indicator of our maturity and some spiritual progress that we make. Uh, somewhere in my house, I still have it, but I, I've, I've got more over the years just by happenstance. Somewhere in my house, in the stuff that I have, I have a, have a peso, Brother Mason. And it probably came into my life when when I was young. I came across a peso, you know, the currency there uh, from Mexico and other places. But I thought that was just so so just neat as a kid. A peso, what I would call a foreign coin, foreign uh, currency. And so I kept it because I thought it was cool. Kept it because I thought that was pretty awesome. You know, some brag about you know some people have wheat pennies and I had a peso you know, and so I would show it and share it with others, uh, but in reality, it, it was quite useless and without value here within the states in all, all regards, not much to it, uh, and, and, and so I had this peso, and and, and it didn't, I, I showed it off to others, and, and I was kind of proud of it, but again, useless and without value here in the states, and it's best, because it was a foreign coin to me, and I just thought it was awesome, but it's best, what I'm bringing this to is this, it's best if we do that with the information that we get, As I do with my peso, that's foreign information. That somewhere along the way that we just allow it to get misplaced among other things rather than trying to share it with everybody we know. Amen? James uses the term brethren. He does this over and over again. Brethren or brother three times in verse number 11. I believe what he's trying to emphasize is a relationship here. You know, do not speak evil of your brethren or your brother. He's trying to emphasize a relationship here because I think he wants us to know, you know, we should not really be doing this to somebody that's in such a close connection as being considered a brother or brethren. I believe he's hoping that the the mere relationship that we have with this person should be a deterrent within itself for not speaking evil to them or evil about them. Look over at your brother and sister and say hello. That's your brother or sister this morning. Amen. And so James is trying to just serve as a deterrent enough. Your relation to them and the family of God should be enough for us not to speak evil against them. He said the law that we speak against, he told us, the law that we speak against and judge uh, when we speak against Is that we judge our brother, the law that we're speaking against is the law of love. Because the two commandments of scripture, the Bible says all the others are hung upon, all of the law and the prophets hinged upon these two is to love God and to love your neighbor. He says whenever you judge, whenever you speak against, whenever you speak against your brother, you are speaking against that law of love. Amen. That law of love, that love for God and that love for your brother. Because he has already told us, James has already said, how in the world can we love God and then speak wrongly about man who is made after the similitude of God? He said, how can we do this? He was made in his image and fashioned in his likeness, yet we have no problem speaking evil of him when he's made after the similitude, if you will, of God. And so if you'll remember in John chapter number 8 that the Lord had brought to him a woman that was caught in the very act of adultery And there were those that brought her, who gathered together around her, very strong in judgment against this lady that was caught in the very act. And they found themselves, before this whole scenario is over, they find themselves leaving the scene because whenever they are gathered around, Jesus makes a statement that kind of separates the crowd. He says, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And from the eldest, the Bible says, even to the youngest, they begin to drop their stones back up, and there was no one there to condemn her. He said, he that is without sin. He didn't say he that is without committing the act of adultery. He was broad. He said, he that's without sin, let him first cast a stone at her. And so a good question to ask ourselves before being too heavy on the scale of judgment toward another is this, am I without sin? am I without sin because if we'll stay more uh, acquainted with our own sins, we'll find less time being able to point out other people's sins because if I can keep those in the forefront of my mind and I'm not saying uh, once you receive forgiveness, try to keep Please don't misconstrue what I'm trying to say, but if I can keep in the forefront of my mind, the times that I have failed, the times that I have flubbed up. I might be a little bit more merciful when someone is having their time. Amen. Amen. Because whenever I consider my own sin, what it produces in me is mercy. What it produces in you should be grace for the situation. Amen. And so James, in verse number 13, 13 kind of holds the spirit, if you will, of of these few verses that I read to you today. It says, go to now. Now. Ye, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. It, it is the spirit of the book. It's the spirit, if you will, even of the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament in a nutshell. Because it's, it's talking about just planning your life of tomorrow, going on and conducting your life, having goals and aspirations and doing them, but doing all that without any consideration of God. Have you ever lived your life without any God consideration? Have you ever went through a day without any God consideration? God was so, he was afraid, if I could put it in those terms. God was afraid of being forgotten by Israel, by the nation and by the people. He was afraid of being forgotten by them after he delivered them out of Egyptian bondage. In so much, and you say, "Now, brother McGee, how can they forget the one that brought them out of 400 years of bondage? Well, it happened. It may seem ridiculous and it may seem far-fetched, but it happened of everything that he feared came about. And so it was not only common for Israel, but it's common for our day as well. It's a pattern for our day that still exists. God is afraid that the people that he has saved, the people that he's redeemed, the ones that he had created, is going to forget him as their creator, as their Lord, as their maker. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 8, and verse number 11, look what the Lord says. He says, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God. The nation of Israel, he's telling us, the people that he's delivered, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, in not keeping his commandments, and his judgments, and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full. Wilderness journey, all these other times, what seeking for food, seeking for water. In Egypt, had to eat the onions and all these type of things. He says, "Lest when thou eat and thou art art full, and has blood, and has built rather goodly houses and dwelt therein, the tent days are over." And now you have a permanent place. And when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied. In other words, you've been blessed beyond measure. You'll have when that day comes when you have more than what you have ever had. Verse 14, then thy heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought where was no water, who brought thee forth water out of a rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. Verse 17, And thou say in thy heart, My power and the might of mine hand have gotten me this wealth. Yes. Now, it would seem like it would be crazy to forget a Lord who fed you and you would be dead had it not been for him. Right? Right? Who gave you water to to drink whenever there was drought in the land or safeguarded you from scorpions and serpents and all these things. But God said it's quite easy whenever things get to a place of doing well and life is well and abundance is there and increase is there to forget the one that helped you to where you're at. What is your life? What is your life? Because it's easy even as a Christian to get to a place sometimes that you know what? The wheel was turning without squeaking. And that's great. And get to a place, you know, that there's enough money for the bills and maybe a little entertainment. That's great. And get to a place that the health is doing okay and such and so forth. That's great. But the Lord says, don't you ever think that by your own power, or by your own might, or by your own strength, that's coming to be, and you forget the Lord your God. He said, because the roof over your head still came from me. The shoes on your feet still came from me. The money that's in your pocket still came from me. The health that's coursing through your veins still came from me. Amen. James is telling us, he's saying, you you want to plan tomorrow, that's fine. Go ahead and plan tomorrow. It's important to issue forth goals and, and plan ahead. That's great. But he says, there is no wisdom in planning ahead without any consideration of God. Because if you do that, you have nothing but a godless plan. And God is a jealous God, he says, and he will not be mocked. Amen. He isn't against man receiving glory. Amen. But he doesn't want man to get any glory that doesn't belong to him. And whenever it comes to health, wealth, riches. Amen. Our status and place in life. It all belongs unto the Lord. Paul McGee couldn't do. Amen. What Paul McGee is doing in this life. I couldn't have the house. I couldn't have the vehicles. I couldn't have the health that God has given me. I couldn't have the ability to speak behind this pulpit. Had it not been for the Lord. That's the reason why I feel the Holy Ghost coming on. That's the reason why one of the chapters in the book of Psalms it says continuously, there's a phrase over and over, had it not been for the Lord that was on our side. Had it not been for the Lord that was on our side. What are they saying? We would still be in bondage. We would still be in the slime pits. We would still have the chains and the lacerations of the whip on our back. Had it not been for the Lord which was on our side Hallelujah. So we got to ask ourselves the question this morning. What is our life? What is our life? James is driving home the point of the brevity of life. Luke 12 Bible tells us that a man ignored the spiritual dimension of life. And see, that's the fear. That's, that's, that's the calamity when we live life and we ignore that there is a real spiritual dimension in life. A man in Luke 12 did that. The Bible says he had increase from the fields and he built bigger barns. That's so what he says. I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns for my increase. That's great. The Bible says he did all this with the neglect of his soul. The Bible says this. He says, Thy, Thou fool... Dost thou not know that your soul will be required of you this night? Because he was going to build bigger barns, but he did. He forgot the spiritual dimension of his life. Here are some of the pictures of the brevity of life spoken in the book of Job. Job says this. He, it's filled with it. He says in Job 7 and 6, he said, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. He says in Job 7 9, The cloud is consumed and vanisheth away. He's talking about life. Amen. He says, Our days upon the earth are a shadow now my days are swifter than a post he's referring to the royal couriers who hastened in their mission of delivering a message he's saying my days are swifter than a post they are passed away Job said as swift ships as the eagle that hasteth to the prey he's talking about the brevity of life in Job 14 verses 1 and 2 he said man is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble and he cometh forth like a flower and is cut down He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. The Bible says in Psalms 90 and verse 10, the days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength, labor, labor, and sorrow for it is soon cut off and we fly away david is saying the average year appointed the man is 70 and if it would be lengthened unto 80 he says that's great but the strength and the labor and the sorrow somewhere along the way it's all going to be cut off and it's going to fly away amen in other words we count you know every birthday comes now people celebrate birthday months Sister say she left because she knew I was getting ready to say it. There's people that celebrate birthday months, but there's other people that just celebrate birthdays. But God told us that we need to number not just the, 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 the time of year or the month, but he says every day. He said we need to number. Because verse four, 15 of James 4 says, what does, the Lord, what does the Lord will for my life? What is your life? What, there's your question. What is the Lord's will for my life? What is the Lord's will for your life? I know you have a will. But what is God's will for your life? Because you don't want to come to the end of your days and have only fulfilled your will. You want to fulfill God's will for your life. And so the Lord's will for our lives must be proved. The Bible says in Romans 12 and verse 2 and be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may, everybody, prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The verb here, that word prove, means to prove by experience. As we live our life, we all make decisions, we make choices, amen. We have life experiences that will prove what God's good, acceptable, and perfect will is for our life and it is a commendable thing and desire to want to be in the will of God but oftentimes you must prove by life experiences what that will is and here's one thing you can absolutely bank on anything that's contrary to his word has already been proven for you whether or not it's his will some things are proven by life experience some things are already proven by his word Amen. That already gives us insight, good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. But when you come to those moments that there are those shades of gray, so to speak, they are made clear by life experiences. Amen. And so there is a misunderstood security in doing the things that God wills. Because serving the Lord isn't a burden. Serving the Lord isn't a burden when you know He's willed that thing to be pleasing to Him. Amen. Amen. The song that, 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 sing, uh, that, that I think Sister Vera used to sing is, He's not a burden to me. He's not a burden to me. So the secret of a happy life is to delight in the ways of the Lord. The secret of a happy life is to do the things that are happy unto the Lord. And whenever our duty becomes delight, then our burdens become blessings. The Bible says in Psalms 119 and verse 54, look at what David said. This is David speaking. This is a man that is caught up with the will of God. He says, thy statutes have been my songs. (laughs) In the house of my pilgrimage. What do you say? David says, I'm on a journey. And there are some statutes, commandments. There are some requirements of me. But they've been my song. They're what... He says, they're they're the things that are constantly upon my lip. uh, lip, um, A message, if you will, a song unto the Lord. His statutes have become my song. That is a man that has found comfort in finding his spot of God's will for his life. The Bible says in James 4, 16, but now ye rejoice in your boastings. He says, all such rejoicing is evil. He said, you rejoice in your boastings. What? He's going back to these people that believe that they got where they are at, and they're doing what they're doing, and it's all because of them. So here's a caution. He says, a caution of rejoicing in your boastings. He says it's evil. Here's a caution by means of a fable this morning that would probably best illustrate this. From Mongolian folklore comes this little fable of a boastful bullfrog. Two geese were about to start southward on their long annual autumn migration when they were entreated by a bullfrog to take him with them them one of the geese expressing their willingness to do so if there was some means of conveyance that could be devised in order to lift him in the air and take him with them so the frog produced then this long stalk of grass one goose grabbed one end of it the other goose grabbed the other end of it and then the frog clenched on to the middle of the blade of the grass with his mouth in the middle So in this manner, these three started off in that autumn journey to the southward country for winter with frog hung between the two geese. So they're making their journey and then below there were some men that noticed the geese and something suspended between them above as they were flying by. The men loudly began to express their admiration for the device and the ingenuity it would seem of the geese and the stalk and the frog and wondered who in the world was clever enough to discover that and get that. Upon notice and hearing the vanglorious frog opened his mouth and said, It was I." Lost his hold, fell to the earth, dashed in pieces. Rejoice in your boastings. It's evil, folks. <laughs> it, it's evil. Amen. <laughs> Someone's seen it coming. I know you did. Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> James says in verse 17, Then therefore... And any time you see therefore in Scripture, always look backward to see what it's there for. Therefore, verse 17 is referring back to the person that's planning their life without God. Acting in their life as though there wasn't a God. You know, some people are not atheist in belief, but they're atheist in behavior. They believe in God, but they behave as though there isn't a God <laughs> he said these people they 're planning their life as though i don't exist. I brought them out of where they were where they were at, but they 're planning their life as though I was never anywhere along the intersection in their life, and so this verse here then Gives us therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. This verse establishes not a sin necessarily of commission of something that you have done or doing something wrong, but a sin of omission of not doing what is right. We all know you, you can sin by doing something wrong or contrary to God's law, His statutes or His work, break a commandment, whatever it may be. But we can also sin by not doing something that we should do. And so whenever we look at the story of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, it is that very thing that is is taken to task because it illustrates the concern for not doing something. The, 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 the story of the talents is each servant is awarded a certain amount of talents. And whenever the master came back to see what they have done with the talents, here they have, each one has been profitable with the talents that have been given to them. But the Bible says the person who received one talent went and took that talent and hid it in the earth. In essence, they did nothing. And so whenever the master comes back and he says, here, Lord, I have the talent that you gave to me. The the Lord is a little bit uh, irate. He says, well, you know. I could have got just as much if you know, I put it over to for, for usury or, or for interest or, or you know, had it at a bank. He said, I, my own. He said, you did nothing with this. And so the Bible says he took the talent that he did have away from him and he gave it to the one with the most talents. And he took that man and threw him away in outer darkness and considered him an unprofitable servant because he didn't do something he should have done. And so it's in that then that Matthew 25 then turns to the day of judgment, all right? Because in this chapter, the ones doomed to that everlasting fire were not the ones that did, per se, something wrong. Look at it in Matthew 25. But it's the ones that did not do what was right. Someone say amen. What does Matthew 25, because it goes to the story. He says, he says, you know, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was a prisoner, you came to visit me. Huh? Right? All these different things that are in Matthew chapter 25. Whenever I was homeless, you provided a home. Uh, all these different things. And they said, he said, when you done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. He says, well, when, when was this opportunity? He said, through all these different scenarios of those that needed to be fed, those that needed to be clothed, this, that, and the other. And he said, so you're going to be doomed. They were cast into everlasting fire and darkness. Why? Not because of what they had done, but what they had not done. The sin of omission. He wasn't condemning, per se, ignorant sin. But he says, he that knoweth to do good. And doeth it not. To him it is sin. What is your life? What is your life? What are you doing? And is is anything that you're doing things that you need to be doing for the Lord? What are you doing? So in the Old Testament, the Bible even made provisions for people that did sin ignorantly. Something that they didn't know. They did something and and it was wrong. But the Bible says whenever they came to the knowledge of their ignorant sin that they committed, that they would make the thing right with an offering and a sacrifice unto the Lord. The Bible says in 2 Peter 2 and verse number 20 and verse 21, look what 2 Peter says. And uh, here probably in the month of August, we'll get to our series on 2 Peter. All right. Amen. But the Bible says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein, and overcome the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, than after they had known it, To turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Because, see, when you don't know the way of righteousness, then you just live a sinful life, perhaps with no basis of bearing. Don't know right or wrong. Ignorantly. But once you know it, you're no longer ignorant. Right? As a young boy, I touched the oven. Boom! Red hand, blistered. You know what I just learned? That thing's hot. That thing is hot. Amen. Same burn's going to come if I touch it. But now I did it knowing it was going to do that to me. And I did it anyway. Amen. It's horrible to be entangled with the things that you know the end thereof is destruction. Yet do it anyway. We are not giving out, Lord's not giving out any free get out jail cards. We're held accountable for what we know. We're held accountable for what we know. Bishop Bishop Osborne says this. He says, not only are we accounted for what we know, he said, but I'll take it a step further. He says, we're held accountable for what we had the opportunity to know. (sighs) Let me just slide in just a little bit right here. I know only one service. (sighs) Slide in just one here. What he's conveying is this, not only only for what we know, but for what we what we had the opportunity to know, but we neglected and we chose not for in that setting. I remember him saying that he was talking to us in this setting. He said, folks, he said, it's important to be at the house of God. That's what he's telling us. He said, it's important to be at the house of God. He said, the things that are teached and preached, he said, from the house of God. He said, when you have opportunity to be there and you're not there, he says, I believe God will keep you accountable for what you had opportunity to know. I was like, what is your life? What is your life? If you would just sit down and begin to write, you know, the things that your life consists of at the end, what would be the sum total of your life in reality? What weighs out? I close with this this morning. You can stand. The little poem goes like this. He was going to be all that a mortal could be tomorrow no one would be kinder or braver than he tomorrow a friend who was troubled and weary he knew who would be glad of a lift and he needed it too on him he would call and see what he could do tomorrow each morning he stacked up the letters he'd write tomorrow and think of the folk he would fill with delight tomorrow it was too bad indeed he was busy today and hadn't a moment to stop on his way, more time he would have to give others, he'd say, tomorrow. The greatest of mortals this man would have been, tomorrow. The world would have known him had he ever seen tomorrow. But the fact is he died and he faded from view, and all that was left when his living was through was a mountain of things he intended to do tomorrow. What is your life? We can bow our heads in this place this morning. What is your life? Don't put off tomorrow what you can to do today. Don't put off tomorrow what you know to do today. Don't, don't exempt yourself because of this or that, or the other. And I've, I've had conversations, I've had conversations this past weekend, folks, with people come up and talk to me, probably talk to some of you all too, and said, man, I, I really need to come to the church, come back. And I said, yeah, I know. I said, but I'm always like, man, if I just get this done, I said, there's always going to be something to get done. There's always going to be something to get done. always be something to put your hand to. I said, if you wait to come whenever everything's done and everything's pinned together and snapped together, I said, you'll never get here. I said, you just got to come and leave those things where they are. You just got to come. What are you saying to them? Yeah. I said, what is your life? There's not always going to be a Tomorrow we live each day that there is going to be we really do there's things right now during the process of this week you know what I said I'll do that tomorrow I, you know I scheduled it out there's just certain things I knew you know it's like putting out the next fire I'll go, I'm going to do that tomorrow you know the fact of the matter tomorrow for me may never even come somebody else could be driving you if you would even go if I would depart from this earth tonight it may never come my salvation and being right with God I can't wait for church camp I can't wait for church camp I've got to take care of things today I'm, I'm just like a good like a good banker in the bank i got to make sure all the counts come to where they need to be at the end of every day if my drawer is short i got to make sure that I, 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 I huh he came, she came, who sharebu, who seek able who see Heliabo, Rebbe, has <laughs> Sharebu, who sakare, Shandi, Omohoshaya. He alamoniebu, Kuribu, Surabu, who shandi, a handi, Omoshek, Heliabu, who sigh. Heliabaha, Hilo Bohosha, Hila <laughs> Bakandi, Hiki, Aliamuni, Shia Mahaya. Ti o lo bo soto ala ele abaha alalaloro bohosai iye so kondi amni akandi he Brother Mason, go on and play. These altars are open right now. These altars are open right now all across this place. God's been pulling on your heart this morning. Let me tell you something. Choices need to be made for your life today. Today. There's no better acceptable time than right now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. If you're looking for the acceptable time, God's already given it in Scripture. It's always now the acceptable time is always now to make things right to have course correction to make things right between individuals the acceptable time is always now always now feel the Holy Ghost in this place what is your life sir what is your life ma'am what is your life regardless of your age it doesn't matter don't matter how old you are doesn't matter how young you are what is your life just because you're 10 or you're 13 or 14 it doesn't matter there's been many much younger than you that's had life taken from them what is your life what does it consist of do you have a God planned life do you have a God planned life is he a part of the equation is he part of the formula or is he somewhere on the back burner here recently is he somewhere on the back burner here recently what is your life what is your life? It's it's brief. It's a vapor. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. It's as a shadow that's passing. It's there and then it's gone. What is your life? We don't have time to wait for, for certain conferences. We don't have time to wait for certain revivals. We don't have time to wait for just the right opportunity in life just to be served just right for it. No, 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 no. Now, 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 now is the time. Now is the time. Hola, Mashiach Messiah. Let's cry out to the Lord on this Sunday morning. We have no service tonight, but we need to cry out to God today in this morning's service. Brother McGee, that this... Thank you for preaching. That just doesn't really apply to me. That's okay. That's okay. Amen. But it may apply to somebody in this place that says, You know what? I've come to a place that things have come to a place that everything seemed to be just moving smoothly along. All right. But somewhere in the midst of it all, I've lost the handle on the God factor. God, help me, Lord lord help me jesus you're the one that delivered me from bondage you're the one that's got me out of sin lord if you're the one that spawned us out of there you're the one with us in the wilderness through the promised land to reach lord the allotment of our land someday help me god not to forget you help me god not to forget you jesus said in the new testament scripture will the son of man find faith on earth when he comes will he find faith Will somebody still believe in Him? Will somebody still undergird Him? Will somebody still be living for Him in the moment? Or will it be some just uh, forgotten mode? Some just forgotten piece of their life because they don't see themselves per se in need of God in that moment. Hallelujah. What is your life today? Let's come on. Let's holler out to God today. Brother Mason, I love you. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.